All right, what's up? What's up, peoples? What's crack a lacking? It's your boy Tech G in the place to be. Um, so <clears throat> I want to talk about. Uh -oh. So yesterday I did this video talking about. Um, let me find it. Talking about the Chinese, right? How the Chinese out there causing headaches. And all kind of stuff. What's up, uh, Israel? How you doing, man? I'm assuming you're a dude. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I did this video talking about the Chinese hackers, right? How they out here causing all kind of headaches and issues. And um, in that video, I made mention of the North Koreans, how they're like training up people in conjunction with the Chinese to become super hackers. And I was talking about how, um, you know, everybody is concerned about the U.S. and China, you know, possibly going to war over Taiwan and, you know, all that stuff that's taking place. Right. But also mentioned that there's actually a quote unquote war taking place. Uh, with cybersecurity, right? Um, and I mentioned a couple things, but I mentioned um, specifically about, I made reference to, uh, there was a movie that came out some years ago where they were going to clown, uh, they were making fun of the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, I think that's his name, if I'm not mistaken. And then some of the North Koreans hacked into uh, Sony's production company or whatever, started leaking these emails where some of the executives are talking a little greasy about uh actor slash comedian kevin hart so anyways i want to i want to go over this story with you guys that actually highlights exactly how this thing was pulled off with the uh, level of sophistication that went into this to uh basically illustrate and highlight you know, just how serious some of these hackers are, especially these hackers that come from other countries like Russia, China, North Korea, and how they are so they are so dead set on trying to, um, you know, do whatever they can do to uh, disrupt American way of life. You understand? Because, you know, they got issues for whatever reason. You know what I mean? I'm finna take the uh, Network Plus next week. My last attempt, I got a 704, but 720 is the passing grade. I'll get it next. All right, man, got to get in there and uh, you can do it. Just got to study, man. Just got to study. Get all that stuff inside your brain. Um, The best way I tell people is you got to learn and understand the information and then that'll help you with memorizing the information when it's time for you to take a test. Because like I said, I've taught this to hundreds of people over the years. I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds. And there's always this collective of people who they just want to try to memorize the information just to go in there and pass the test. And you'll have like a very small percentage of people that can actually successfully pull that off. Where they'll go on, they'll go online and they'll download these test bank answers where it'd be like questions and answers. I don't know. You might download a test bank 
it might be anywhere between 500 to a thousand questions and they'll go in there and just study that like a couple days before the test but i've only seen like literally a handful of people that can successfully pull that off so my advice to people is um learning information comprehended and then go about the process of memorizing the stuff just uh you know so you can pass the test because you know the test is um the test is basically like the first barrier of entry um you know after you pass the test obviously a lot of that stuff is going <laughs> to fall out your head and you'll be like you're going to forget about it and then you'll you'll learn your real stuff on what they call on the job training but you got to pass that test man but you can do it and look don't feel bad if you failed it. Every, there's a lot of people that's failed these certifications. Uh, the first time I ever took the A plus, I failed it, the hardware test. Because uh, I, I really I kind of half-assed studied. And then I went back, actually put some effort into my studying and went and passed it. And then I passed the software test on the first try. And when I took the first time I took the network plus, I believe I passed that on the first try too. But I failed tests before too, but I always chalk it up to it's because I didn't properly study. Passed the uh, 1001 with a 799. Hope you come out with the 1100 series. Yeah, I'm going to be working on that next. I'm trying to finish up doing this. All right. Yeah, sometimes my microphone, sometimes my microphone mutes itself. I have no idea why it does that. It's actually like, a, I think it's like a glitch with this software. But uh, anyways, um, yeah, I'm going to be doing the, 11, the 1100 series as well. I just got to finish the uh, Security Plus 601, and then I'll jump into the 1100, and then I'll also be creating content for the for the uh, new Network Plus as well. But I'm a one-man band operation, so I don't have anybody helping me do any of this. So you know, between that, work, wife, kids, you know, I got to get it in whenever I can get it in. But anyway, so we're going to talk about this. And look, this is kind of lengthy, but it just illustrates the level of sophistication that a lot of some of these hackers will go through in order to try to make your life a living hell <laughs> or steal whatever they got to steal. You know what I'm saying? So. This is like probably one of the best cybersecurity stories I think I've ever read. And I'm going I'm to go ahead and, uh, you know, go through this with y'all. All right. So it's called the uh, it's called the uh, the Lazarus Heist. Right. That's the name of it. How North Korea almost pulled off a billion dollar hack. So it says in 2016, North Korean hackers planned a one billion dollar raid on Bangladesh's national bank and came within an inch of success it was only by a fluke that all of the that all but 81 million of the transfers were halted uh, but how did one of the world's poorest and most isolated countries train a team of elite cyber criminals so in case you guys don't know this you guys have never seen these pictures right this is an infamous picture this little black hole right here is, is the country of North Korea at night. This is South Korea. This is China. This is North Korea. That's Yongyang, the capital city. 
But at nighttime, this is what it looks like because the overwhelming majority of the country doesn't have access to electricity, basic utilities, all that stuff that obviously their uh their their sister country down here, South Korea, look how look how they're glowing. And look how China's glowing. But this country right here that looks like a black hole is producing what they call super hackers. All right. And they're going to explain all this in this article. All right. It says it all started with a malfunctioning printer. It's just a part of modern life. And so when it happened to the staff at the Bangladesh Bank, they thought the same thing most of us do. Another day, another tech headache. It didn't seem like a big deal. So a malfunctioning printer is what started all of this, which led to North Korea almost stealing $1 billion, a malfunctioning printer. And the reason why I want to highlight that is because when people think about cybersecurity, y'all probably seen these crazy cybersecurity movies in Hollywood where they got some dude in a laptop coming, rappelling from the sky, caught just climbing through the, the through the rafters in the ceiling and hopping over laser beams and sticking the thumb drive into the thing. And they're, they're doing like this mastermind plan to steal whatever they're stealing. Oftentimes, a lot of cybersecurity incidents take place because of simple uh, overlooked things like malfunctioning printers or people not changing passwords or people keeping the default username and passwords on like their router, like right now, if you were to drive through your neighborhood, um, I can almost 100% guarantee you, if you drive through your neighborhood, you can probably break into at least two routers in your neighborhood by, ju by just typing in the default username and password for the router, which is more than likely admin admin or admin password. Because people that get their default routers, or not the, I mean, they're the Soho routers and they just won't change the passwords. And this kind of happened to a, a, a former neighbor of mine. I might talk about him one day in the future. But some years ago when I was living in Georgia, I was living next door to this dude. Um, anyways, the FBI decided to come pay him a visit one day. They paid him a visit. And for what he was accused of, they, um, I thought he was going to go to jail forever. A day or so later, he came back home. So being that... I work in IT and I was working for the NSA at the time. I was like, the only way that this is possible is if this guy didn't, what he's accused of doing, which was um, trying to keep this PG. He was uh, looking at images on the internet he shouldn't have been looking at. I'll, I'll let y'all kind of figure out where that goes from there. But I was like, the only way this is possible, somebody probably hacked into his router because he probably didn't change the username and password. And then they started looking at these images. And then when the FBI got word of what was going on, well, they, they, uh, they, his IP address to his router is linked directly to his house. And so they came to pay him a visit and then scoop up all this crap. Anyways, months later goes by, life returns to normal. I'm going to work. And the FBI is out on the block again. And this time they arrest him. And I haven't seen him since. <laughs> And thankfully so, he, he, he was sentenced to prison for, he got life in prison plus 600 years. Like that was his actual sentence. Life plus 600 years in prison for what he was doing to his stepson and what he was looking at on the internet. 
But initially, when the FBI first came and they didn't arrest him, my IT mind took over. I was like, well, this is the only scenario I could think of this, how, how this happened. But turns out what they initially accused him of was true. But anyways, I say all that to say, even with malfunctioning printers, not just changing your username and password. This is how a lot of cybersecurity attacks happen, just by simple things like that. Not all the crazy stuff you might see in a movie, but just simple things like clicking random links and emails that, you know, you didn't uh, you didn't ask for. So be mindful of that. I article goes on to say, but this wasn't just any printer. It was it wasn't just any bank. Bangladesh Bangladesh Bank is the country's central bank responsible for overseeing the precious currency reserves of a country where millions live in poverty. And the printer played a pivotal role. It was located inside a highly secure room on the 10th floor of the bank's main office in Dhaka. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. The capital city. His job was to print out records of the multi-million dollar transfers flowing in and out of the bank. So they managed to get access to a malfunctioning printer in a secure room that was directly responsible for printing uh, the records of multi-million dollar transfers. Ain't that something? When the staff found it wasn't working at 8.45 a.m. on, Friday, on, on uh, February 5th, 2016, they say we assumed it was a common problem just like any other day. Uh, such glitches had happened before. In fact, this was the first indication that the Bangladesh bank was in a lot of trouble. Hackers had broken to its computer networks and at the very moment were carrying out one of the most audacious cyber attacks ever attempted. Their goal was to steal a billion dollars. Right. Uh, the spirit to uh, this. What did I say? Oh, to to spirit the money away. The gang, the gang behind the heist would use fake bank accounts, charities, casinos and a wide network of accomplices. So this was well beyond just somebody breaking into a, a hacking into a printer to steal some stuff. They had a whole network set up that's going to span a couple countries in order to try to get this money up out of this bank. Says, who are these hackers and where are they from? According to investigators, the, the uh, digital uh, fingerprints point in just one direction. The government of North Korea. So this is a state-sponsored hacking endeavor. It says that North Korea will be the prime suspect in the case of cybercrime might, to, to some, be a surprise. It's one of the world's poorest countries and largely disconnected from the global community, technologically, economically, in almost every other way. So I showed you all this picture. This is North Korea right here. This is South Korea. This is China. This is North Korea. They look like a black hole. All right. Y'all go sub to my man, PBO, Professor Black Ops. He is another cybersecurity expert that creates content on the YouTubes. So uh, he can get y'all gamed up out in these streets as well. He says we're on the wrong side. Uh, it depends on how you look at that. I mean... If you're in it to try to make some money without, you know, and you're smart enough to not get arrested, then we might be on the wrong side. But <laughs> knowing me, I'd probably be arrested. And I'm not trying to go to a place, be locked up in a cell where there's no women. I'm, I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm not trying to be locked up with a bunch of smelly dudes and there's no women around. I'm sorry. That's not the life for me. Uh, so article goes on to say, and yet, according to the FBI, the audacious Bangladesh bank hack was the culmination of years of methodical preparation 
by a shadowy team of hackers and middlemen across Asia operating with the support of the North Korean regime. It says in the cybersecurity industry, the North Korean hackers are known as the Lazarus Group, a reference to a biblical figure who came back from the dead. Experts who tackled the group's computer viruses found they were equally resilient. Little is known about the group, though the FBI has painted a detailed portrait of one suspect, this guy named Park Jin, whatever his last name is. We're just going to call him Park, who has also gone by the names of uh, Pac and this other name. So this guy, Park, that's the main suspect. It says it describes him as a computer programmer who graduated from one of the country's top universities and went to work for a North Korean company, um, Chosan Expo in the Chinese port city of Dalian, creating online gaming and gambling programs for clients around the world. So it was a smart dude who was setting all this up. While in the city of Dalian, he set up an email address, created a CV and used social media to build a network of contacts. Cyber Footprints put him in Dalian as early as 2002 and off and on until 2013 or 2014 when his internet activity appears to come from the North Korean capital, Yongyang. Uh, the agency has released a photo plucked from a 2011 email sent by a Chosan Expo manager introducing Park to an outside client. It shows a clean-cut Korean man in his late 20s or early 30s dressed in a pinstripe black shirt and chocolate brown suit. Nothing out of the ordinary at first glance, apart from a drained look on his face. So this is the dude right here. This is the mastermind right here. A young looking uh, North Korean dude. Looks like a everyday average dude. And the reason I'm saying this is because we all think of these hackers based off of what we see in the movies as these goofy looking incel looking nerds <laughs> hiding in their mother's basements with uh, neon lights and computers just running all over the place. Now, nah, hackers can look like anybody. They can look like me. They can look like you. They can look like your mother, your father. They can even look like your children in the literal sense. So you can't just base everything off of what you think, uh, off of what the movies portray. They look like everybody, anybody that, you know, has some computers, computer sense and some motives to try to break into something. You know, they can learn these skills and go out there and do all kind of crazy stuff. Right. Says, but the FBI says that while work, uh, excuse me, but the FBI says that while he worked as a programmer by day, he was a hacker at night. In June 2018, U.S. authorities charged Park with one count of conspiracy to commit computer fraud and abuse, and one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, fraud in involving mail or electronic communication, between September 2014 and August 2017. Says he faces up to 20 years in prison. If he is ever tracked down, he returned to China. He returned from China to North Korea four years before the charges were filed. So they're probably not going to catch this dude if they haven't caught him already. Uh, but Park, if that's his real name, didn't become a hacker for the state overnight. He is one of thousands of young North Koreans who have been cultivated from childhood to become cyber warriors. Talented mathematicians as young as 12, taken from their schools and sent to the capital. Well, they are given intensive tuition for more from morning till night. So the North Koreans, they are out here taking their little children as young as 12 years old, seeing who is uh, smart enough to, be, to do some math and play with some computers 
and they are training them to become super hackers, y'all, as young as 12 years old. Now, juxtapose that with what we're doing with our 12-year-olds here in America. I'm not going to go down this whole political conversation or this uh, just 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 go on social media. I'll put it that way and look at what's taking place with our 12 year olds and what they feel is the most important thing that's that's going on. And then look at what they're doing with their 12 year olds. All right. <laughs> I got a 15 year old upstairs right now in his room. I'm struggling to get him to study, to go get his driver's permit. <laughs> but we got North Koreans out here, 12-year-old kids learning to become super hackers, y'all. It's crazy. Yes, they are grooming hackers. <laughs> that is exactly what they're doing. Meanwhile, in America, we're, we're doing other things. It says, when the bank's uh, staff re rebooted the, the printer, they got some very worrying news. Spilling out of it were urgent messages from the Federal Reserve Bank in New York or the Fed, where Bangladesh keeps a U.S. dollar account. The Fed had received instructions, apparently from Bangladesh Bank, to drain the entire account close to billions of dollars, right? The Bangladeshis tried to contact the Fed for clarification, but thanks to the hackers' very careful timing, they couldn't get through. The hack started at 8 o'clock p.m. Bangladesh time on Thursday, February 4th, or 8 p.m., but in New York, it was Thursday morning, giving the Fed plenty of time, uh, giving the Fed plenty of time to carry out the hackers' wishes while Bangladesh was asleep. So they studied the time differences and all this stuff. This is some, some next-level stuff, right? Since the next day, which was a Friday, was the start of Bangladesh's weekend, which runs from Friday to Saturday. So the bank's headquarters in Dhaka, was beginning two days off. And when the Bangladeshis began to uncover the theft on Saturday, it was already the weekend in New York. The article goes on to say, so you see the elegance of the attack, says U.S.-based cybersecurity expert. The date of Thursday night has a very defined purpose. On Friday, on Friday, New York is working and Bangladesh Bank is off. By the time Bangladesh Bank comes back online, the Federal Reserve Bank is off. So it delayed the whole discovery by almost three days. So we're talking three days before they realized what the heck was going on, right? And the hackers had another trick up their sleeve to buy even more time. Once they had transferred the money out of the Fed, they needed to send it somewhere. So they wired it to accounts they set up in Manila, the capital of the Philippines. And in 2016, Monday, February 8th was the first day of the Lunar New Year, a national holiday across Asia. So they had to get this money up out of there, right? So by exploiting time differences between Bangladesh, New York, and the Philippines, the hackers had engineered a clear five-day run to get the money away. See the level of sophistication with this? All coming from a country that looks like this, y'all, a country that has no lights at nighttime. <laughs> all right? Um... They had plenty of time to plan all this because it turns out the Lazarus group had been lurking inside the Bangladesh Bank's computer system for a year. So these guys had successfully hacked into that bank and were just lying dormant for an entire year waiting to put this plan together. This is some, some unfounded level of sophistication and patience right here. How many of y'all even have, how many of y'all would have that type of patience to just, 
break into something and just hide out for a year. I mean, that's literally what they did. In January 2015, uh, an innocuous looking email had been sent to several Bangladesh bank employees. It came from a job seeker calling himself Rasil Alam. Uh, his polite inquiry included an invitation to download a CV and cover letter from a website. In reality, uh, Rasil did not exist. He was simply a cover name being used by the Lazarus Group, according to the FBI. At least one person inside the bank fell for the trick downloaded the documents and got infected with the virus hidden inside see that ladies and gentlemen he sent an attachment pretending to be somebody he wasn't somebody at the bank didn't know basic standard cybersecurity protocols on an elementary level click the link and boom that's how they got access to everything all through an email ladies and gentlemen this email led them to that malfunctioning printer Says once inside the bank system, Lazarus Group began stealthily hopping from one computer to com uh, hopping from computer to computer, hopping from computer to computer, working their way towards the digital vaults and the billions of dollars they contain. And then they stop. Why did the hackers only steal the money a whole year after the initial phishing email arrived at the bank? Why risk being discovered while hiding inside the bank systems all the time? Because it seems. They needed the time to line up their escape routes for the money. So they sent the email, got access, found the malfunctioning printer, hit out for a year, and then put their plans of uh, to, to jack the money together in place. That, that's what they did. And this bank right here is going to play a vital role in this as well. It says Jupiter Street is a busy thoroughfare in Manila. This is uh, in Thai, where, where the heck Manila is? I can't remember. But next to uh, an, an eco hotel and a dental surgery is a branch of the RCBC, one of the country's largest banks. In May 2015, a few months after the hackers accessed Bangladesh bank systems, four accounts were set up by the hackers' accomplices. In hindsight, there were some suspicious signs. The driver licenses used to set up the accounts were, fake, were fakes. And the applicants all claim to have exactly the same job title and salary, despite working at different companies. But no one seemed to notice. For months, the account sat dormant and their initial 500 deposit untouched while the hackers worked on other aspects of the plan. So here we have another bank. Four people come in there to set up fake bank accounts and the people working at the bank do not notice anything suspicious that they all have the same job and have the same salary and work at different companies. And then they all deposit $500 and don't touch the accounts. It says, by February 2016, having successfully hacked into the Bangladesh bank and created conduits for the money, the Lazarus Group was ready. But they still had one final hurdle to clear, the printer on the 10th floor. Bangladesh, Bangladesh Bank had created a paper backup system to record all transfers made from its accounts. Uh, this record of transactions risks exposing the hackers' work instantly. And so they hacked into the software, controlling it, and took it out of action. <laughs> so they, they took over the printer. It says, with their tracks covered, at 8.36 on Thursday, uh, February 4th, 2016, the hackers began making their transfers, 35 in all, totaling $951 million, almost the entire contents of the Bangladesh Bank's New York Fed account. The thieves were on their way to a massive payday, but just as any Hollywood heist movie, a single tiny detail would catch them out. 
It says, as Bangladesh Bank discovered the missing money over the course of the weekend, they struggled to work out what had happened. The bank's governor, uh, New Rakish, whatever, and his company, World Informatics, and called him in for help. At this point, Rakish says the governor still thought he could claw back the stolen money. As a result, he kept the hack secret, not just from the public, but from but even from his own government. Meanwhile, this guy Rakish was discovering just how deep the hack went. He found out the thieves had gained access to a key part of Bangladesh bank systems called SWIFT. It's the system. Now, you've heard of SWIFT. This was actually in the news not too long ago in regards to Russia when they invaded the U Ukraine. How basically this is like, uh, to my understanding, a matter of fact, let me just read it right here. Uh, basically, it's the system used by thousands of banks around the world to coordinate transfers of large sums between themselves, right? So that's what SWIFT is. The hackers didn't exploit a vulnerability in SWIFT. They didn't need to. So as far as SWIFT software is concerned, the hackers look like genuine bank employees. It soon became clear to Bangladesh bank officials that the transactions couldn't, be, couldn't just be reversed. Some money had already arrived in the Philippines where the authorities told them they would need a court order to start uh, the process to reclaim it. Court orders are public documents. And so when the Bangladesh bank finally filed its case in late February, the story went public and exploded worldwide. So the consequences for the bank's governor were almost instant. He was asked to resign and we never saw him again. U.S. Congressman Carolyn Maloney remembers clearly when she was, when, uh, when she was, where she was when she first heard about the raid on the Bangladesh bank. She says, I was leaving Congress and going to the airport and reading about the heist, and it was fascinating, shocking, and a terrifying incident, probably one of the most terrifying I've ever seen for financial markets. As a member of the Congressional Committee on Financial Services, Maloney saw the bigger picture. With SWIFT underpinning so many billions of dollars of global trade, a hack like this could fatally undermine confidence in the system. She was particularly concerned about, uh, she was particularly concerned by the involvement of the Federal Reserve Bank. They were the New York Fed, which is usually so careful. How in the world did these transfers happen? So this is the lady right here. Maloney contacted the Fed and staff and explained to her that most of the transfers had in fact been prevented thanks to a tiny coincidental detail. The RCBC Bank branch in Manila to which the hackers tried to transfer 951 million was in Jupiter Street. There were hundreds of banks in Manila that the hackers could have used, but they chose this one and the decision cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. It goes on to say the transactions were held up at the Fed because the address used in one of the orders included the word Jupiter, which is almost which is also the name of a sanctioned Iranian shipping vessel, says Carolyn Maloney. So just mentioning the word Jupiter was enough to set alarm bells ringing in the Fed's automated computer systems. The payments were reviewed and most were stopped, but not all. Five transactions worth $101 million crossed the hurdle. So they tried to jack $951 million and they were able to get $101 million successfully out of the, uh, out of the Fed. The, rest, the other $800 million or so was stopped. So it says of that 20 million was transferred to a Sri Lankan charity called called the uh, Shalika Foundation, which had been lined up by the hackers accomplices as one conduit for the stolen money. Its founder, Shalika, whatever her last name is, says she believed the money was a legitimate donation. But here again, a tiny detail derailed the hackers plans. 
The transfer was made to the uh, Shalika Foundation. An Eagle Eye Bank employee spotted the spelling mistake in the transaction reverse. So they spelled the word foundation wrong. They put foundation instead of foundation. And luckily, a trained bank employee caught it. And so 81 million didn't get through. So we started at 951 million. 101 million got through. Of that, 20 million got through because 80 million was stopped because they misspelled one word. Instead of spelling foundation, F-O-U, they spelled F-U-N, foundation. And so uh, Eagle Eye Bank employees stopped. $81 million from going through. So now we're down to 20 million. And so 81 million got through. Uh, wait. Oh, no, they lost 20 million. My bad. So they lost 20 million out of the 100 million. So 81 million still got through. And so 81 million got through, not what the hackers were aiming for, but the lost money was still a huge blow for Bangladesh, a country where one in five people live below the poverty line. By the time Bangladesh Bank began its efforts to claw the money back, the hackers had already taken steps to make sure it stayed beyond reach. On February 5th, uh, the four accounts set up the previous year at the RCBC Bank branch in Jupiter Street suddenly sprang to life. The money was transferred between accounts sent to a currency exchange firm, swapped into a local currency, and redeposited at the bank. Some of it was withdrawn in cash for experts in money laundering. This behavior makes perfect sense. It says you have to make, uh, you have to make all of that criminally derived money look clean and look like it has been derived from legitimate sources in order to protect whatever you do with the money afterwards. Uh, you want to make the money trail as muddy and obscure as possible. So even so, it was still possible for investigators to trace the path of money to make it completely untrack. Wait, to make it completely untrackable, they had to leave the banking system. So now we're going to I guess they're going to start talking about how they're going to clean this stuff up in the casinos. And they, they plan this whole thing out, y'all. It says the uh, Solaire, which is the casino right here, sits at, at on the waterfront in Manila, a gleaming white palace, a uh, heat hedonism whatever that word is head whatever home to a hotel a huge theater high-end shops and its most famous attraction a sprawling casino floor manila has become a big draw for gamblers from mainland china where the pastime is illegal and the solaire is one of the most elegant casino floors in asia it's uh really beautifully designed comparable to anything in southeast asia there's roughly 400 gambling tables and about 2,000 slot machines it was here in uh, Manila's glitzy casino scene that the Bangladesh bank thieves mounted the next stage of their money laundering operation. So out of the $81 million, remember we started at 951, we're down to 81 million now. So out of the $81 million that washed through the RCBC bank, 50 million was deposited in accounts at the Solaire and another casino called the Midas. What happened to the other 31 million? According to a Philippine Senate committee set up to investigate it was paid to a Chinese man called Zhu, who's believed to have left town on a private <laughs> who's believed to have left town on a private jet and never been seen. So now we're down to 50 million. And this dude, Zhu, took 31 million and, and Chuck deuces. <laughs> man, I wish I was Zhu right now. But uh, the idea of using casinos was to break the chain of traceability. Once the stolen money had been converted into casino chips gambled over the tables and cash back uh, changed back into cash it will be almost impossible for investigators to trace it 
But what about the risks? Aren't the thieves in danger of losing the loot across the casino tables? Not at all. It says, firstly, instead of playing in the public parts of the casino, the thieves booked private rooms and filled them with accomplices who would play at the tables. This gave them control over how the money was gambled. Secondly, they used the stolen money to play Baccarat, whatever that is, a wildly popular game in Asia, but also a very simple one. There are only three outcomes on which to bet, and a relatively experienced player can recoup 90% of more of their stake, an excellent outcome for money launderers who often get a, small, uh, a far smaller return. The criminals can now launder the stolen funds and look forward to a healthy return, but to do so would take careful management of the players and their bets, and that took time. For weeks, the gamblers sat inside of Manila's casinos washing money. So they got private rooms, put their accomplices in there and had them in there for weeks playing these rigged games to wash the money. y'all. This, this is the level of sophistication these people went through. And this all started in North Korea. Since Bangladesh Bank, meanwhile, was catching up, its officials had visited Manila and identified the money trail. But when it came to the casinos, they hit a brick wall. At that time, the Philippines gambling houses were not covered by money laundering regulations. So, so far as the casinos were concerned, the cash had been deposited by legitimate gamblers who had every right to fritter, fritter, fritter it away over the tables. The Solaire Casino says it had no idea it was dealing with stolen funds and is cooperating with authorities. The Midas did not respond to requests for comment. Uh, the bank officials managed to recover 16 million of the stolen money from one of the men who organized the gambling jaunts at the Midas Casino called Kim Wong. He was charged, but the charges were later dropped. The rest of the money, however, 34 million was leeching away. Its next stop, according to investigators, would take it one step closer to North Korea. Uh, whatever this word says, Macau, this is an enclave of China, similar in constitution to Hong Kong. Like the Philippines, it's a hot spot for gambling and home to some of the world's most prestigious casinos. The country has a long established, the country has also has long established links to uh, North Korea. It was here that North Korean officials were, were in the early 2000s caught laundering counterfeit $100 notes of extremely high quality, so-called super dollars, which U.S. authorities claim were printed in North Korea. The local bank they laundered them through was eventually placed on the U.S. sanctions list thanks to his connections to the Yongyang regime. So remember, this country right here that has no lights on at nighttime, they have mastered the art of creating counterfeit $100 bills that were so good that they were fooling everybody out there. They are producing super hackers and they are a country that is producing people who can make the best counterfeit $100 bills in the world, y'all. This is what's going on in North Korea, right? A country with no lights on at night. Uh, it was also in the uh, Macau that a North Korean spy was trained before she bombed the Korean air flight in 1987, killing 115 people. And it was in Macau that Kim Jong-un's half-brother, Kim Jong-nam, lived in exile before being fatally poisoned in Malaysia in an assassination many believe was authorized personally by the North Korean leader. So I remember a couple of years ago, Kim Jong-un's brother got killed. Well, this is him. <laughs> this is what they're talking about. 
It says, as the money as the money stolen from the Bangladesh bank was laundered through the Philippines, numerous links to the Macau started to emerge. Several of the men who organized the gambling jaunts in the uh, in the Solaire were traced back to Macau. I'm probably saying that name wrong. Two of the companies that had booked the private gambling rooms were also based in Macau. Investigators believe most of the stolen money ended up in these uh, tiny Chinese in this tiny Chinese territory before being sent back to North Korea. At night, North Korea famously appears to be a black hole in photos taken from outer space by NASA due to the lack of electricity in most parts of the country in stark contrast to South Korea, which explodes with light at all hours of the day and night. North Korea ranks among the 12 poorest nations in the world with an estimated GDP of only $1,700 per person, less than Sierra Leone and Afghanistan, according to the CIA. All right? This country right here. And yet North Korea has produced some of the world's most brazen and sophisticated hackers. Understanding how and why North Korea has managed to cultivate elite cyber warfare units requires looking at the family that has ruled North Korea since its inception as a modern nation in 1948, the Kims. So uh, founder Kim Il-sung built the nation officially known as the Democratic People's Republic of Korea on a political system that is socialist but operates more like a monarchy. His son, Kim Jong-il, relied on the military as his power base, provoking the U.S. with tests of ballistic missile and nuclear devices. In order to fund the program, the regime turned to illicit methods, according to U.S. authorities, including the highly sophisticated counterfeit super dollars. Kim Jong-il also decided early on to incorporate cyber into the country's strategy, establishing the Korea Computer Center in 1990. It remains the heart of the country's IT operations. Uh, when in 2010, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il's third son, re was revealed as his heir apparent, the regime unfurled a campaign to portray the future leader only in his mid-20s and unknown to his people as a champion of science and technology. It was a campaign designed to secure the, his generation's loyalty and to inspire them to become warriors using these new tools. So they are grooming, breeding, and raising people to become cyber criminals <laughs> for the most part it says the young kim who took power in late 2011 upon his father's death called nuclear weapons a treasured sword but he too needed a way to fund them a task complicated by the ever tighter sanctions imposed by the u.n security council after the country's first test of a nuclear device and a long-range ballistic missile in 20 in 2006 hacking was one solution u.s authorities say the embrace of science and technology did not extend to allowing North Koreans to freely connect to the global Internet, though. That would enable too many to see what the world looks like outside their borders and to and to read accounts that contradict the official mythology. So basically, they don't want people getting. So if you know anything about North Korea, some people do have access to the Internet over there, but it is highly restricted, meaning they're not looking at YouTube videos and Google and TikTok. They're looking at what Kim Jong, they're looking at Kim Jong-un's version of the internet, whatever the heck that might be. It says, so in order to train its cyber warriors, the regime sends the most talented computer programmers abroad, mostly to China. There they learn how the rest of the world uses computers and the internet to shop, to gamble, to network, and to be entertained. It's their experts say that they are transformed from mathematical geniuses into hackers. Remember, they start recruiting these kids at 12 years old, y'all. 
Scores of these young men are believed to live and work in North Korean run outposts in China. They are very good at masking their tracks, but sometimes, just like any other criminal, they leave crumbs and evidence behind, um, says Kim Jong, a former FBI Korea chief who now works as a private sector investigator in Seoul. And we're able to identify their IP addresses back to their location. Says those crumbs led investigators to the unassuming hotel in Xinyang in China's northeast, guarded by a pair of stone tigers, a traditional Korean motif. The hotel was called the Chilbozen after a famous mountain range in North Korea. Photos posted to the hotel review sites, such as a go to reveal charming Korean touches, colorful bedspreads, North Korean cuisine, and waitresses who sing and dance for their customers. So, this is that hotel. Uh, it was well known in the intel community, says uh, this, this Korean FBI guy, that suspected North Korean hackers were operating from that hotel when they first broke into the world stage in 2014. Meanwhile, in the Chinese city of Dalian, where Park Jin Hoik, whatever his name is, Park, remember Park is the guy that started all this, is believed to have lived for a decade. A community of computer programmers was living and working in a similar North Korean run operation says Defector Lee. Lee was born and raised in Yongyang, that's the, the capital of North Korea, but lived, in, but lived for years in Dalian where his father was a well-connected businessman working for the North Korean government until the family defected in 2014. The bustling port city across the Yellow Sea from North Korea was home to about 500 North Koreans when he was living there. Among them, more than 60 were programmers Young men he got to know, he says, when North Koreans gathered for national holidays. One of them invited him over to their living quarters. There, Lee saw about 20 people living together in one space. So four to six people living in one room. In the living room, they made it like an office, all computers, all in the living room. This is how it was getting down, y'all. 20 people to a space, computers everywhere, training to be super hackers. Says they showed him what they were producing. They were producing mobile phone games that they were selling to South Korean and Japan through brokers where they were making upwards of one million dollars per year. Although North Korean security officials kept a close eye on them, life of these young men was still relatively free. It's still restricted, but compared to North Korea, they have much more freedom so they can access the Internet and they can watch some movies. Right. Says after about eight years in Dalian Park. The, the, the guy who started all this appears to have been anxious to return to Yongyang. In the 2011 email intercepted by the FBI, he mentions uh, wanting to marry his fiance, but it will be a few more years before he will be allowed to do this. The FBI says his superiors had another mission for him, a cyber attack on one of the world's largest entertainment companies, Sony Pictures Entertainment in Los Angeles, California. Remember, I was talking about this yesterday in my video. It says in 2013, Sony Pictures announced the making of a new movie starring Seth Rogen and James Franco that will be set in North Korea. It's about a talk show host played by Franco and his producer played by Rogen. They go to North Korea to interview Kim Jong-un and are persuaded by the CIA to assassinate him. North Korea threatened retaliatory, retaliatory action against the U.S. if Sony Pictures Entertainment released the film. Remember, this was all in the news. I remember this. And in November 2014, an email was sent to the company bosses from hackers calling themselves the Guardians of Peace, threatening to do great damage. So this was all in the news. I remember that like it was yesterday. 
What's up? Uh, who we got up in here? What's up? Keep it techie. What up? Recycling guy, savage scientist. It says three days later, a horror film image of a blood red skeleton with fangs and glaring eyes appeared on employees' computer screens. Oh, they on some old Godfather stuff here. The hackers have made good on their threats. Exec executive salaries, confidential internal emails, and details as of yet unreleased films were leaked online. And the company's activities ground to a halt as its computers were disabled by the hackers' viruses. Staff couldn't swipe passes to enter their offices or use printers. For a full six weeks, a coffee shop on the MGM lot, the, the headquarters for Sony Pictures Entertainment was unable to take credit cards. So they wasn't playing about this. Sony had initially pressed ahead with plans to release the interview in, in the usual way, but they were hastily they were hastily canceled when the hackers threatened physical <laughs> threatened physical violence. Mainstream cinema chain said they wouldn't show the film, so it was released only digitally and in some independent cinemas. Yeah, this was a big deal back then. But the Sony attack, it turns out, may have been a dry run for an even more ambitious attack, the 2016 bank heist in Bangladesh. So the Sony thing with this movie, this was all just a dry run to prepare them for the bank heist, y'all. That, that's all this was. They were just practicing. Since Bangladesh is still trying to recover the rest of its stolen money, around $65 million, its national bank is taking legal action against dozens of people and institutions, including the RCBC Bank, which denies breaching any rules. As skillful as the hacking of Bangladesh Bank was, just how pleased would the Yang Yang regime have been with the end result? After all, the plot started out as a billion-dollar heist, and the eventual haul would have only been in the tens of millions. Hundreds of millions of dollars had been lost as the thieves had navigated the global banking system, and tens of millions more as they paid off middlemen. In future, according to the U.S. authorities, North Korea would find a way to avoid this attrition. In May 2017, the WannaCry ransomware outbreak spread like wildfire, scrambling victims' files and, and uh, charging them a ransom of several hundred dollars to retrieve their data, paid by the virtual currency Bitcoin. In the UK, the National Health Service was, was uh, particularly badly hit. Accident and emergency departments were affected and urgent cancer appointments had to be rescheduled. As investigators from the UK's National Crime Agency delved into the code working with the FBI, they found striking similarities with the viruses used to hack into the Bangladesh Bank and Sony Pictures Entertainment. And the FBI eventually added this attack to the charges against Park. This guy is a monster, y'all. Where is he at? Let's go back up and look at Park real quick. Where does this picture go? This guy right here. This guy was responsible for the Sony thing trying to steal a billion dollars and now that that little virus that was messing up all kind of stuff out there in, in the uk this guy is a beast and he just looks like everybody else out there he don't look like some goofy incel dude hiding out in the, in the closet you would just see him and and you know pass him on the street and just keep it pushing where'd i leave off at here we go it says, if the FBI's allegations are correct, it shows North Korea's cyber army had now embraced cryptocurrency, a vital leap forward because this high-tech new form of money uh, largely bypasses the traditional banking system 
and could therefore avoid costly overheads such as payoffs to middlemen. WannaCry was just the start. In the uh, ensuing years, tech security firms have attributed many more cryptocurrency attacks to North Korea. They claim the country's hackers have targeted exchanges where cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are swapped for traditional currencies. Added together, some estimates put the thefts from these exchanges at more than $2 billion. Since we put these allegations to the North Korean consulate in London and the ambassador Cho Il told us that this country denies the allegations made by the U.S. and others. Of course they do, which he called a farce. He also told us that the ulterior motives of the U.S. was to tarnish the country's image with all sorts of slander and disgrace. But the allegations kept coming. In February, the U.S. Department of Justice charged two other North Koreans whom they claim are also members of the Lazarus Group and are linked to a money laundering network stretching from Canada to Nigeria. Good God. How much more of this thing we got to go on? Oh, we only got a little bit more to go, y'all. So, so they are they all over the place with this, right? It says computer hacking, global money laundering, cutting edge cryptocurrency thefts. If the allegations against North Korea are true, then it appears many people have underestimated the country's technical skill and the danger it presents. But this also paints a disturbing picture of the dynamics of power in our increasingly connected world and our vulnerability to what security experts call asymmetric threat. The ability of a smaller adversary to exercise power in novel ways that make it far make it a far bigger threat than its size would indicate. It says investigators have uncovered how a tiny, desperately poor nation can silently reach into the email inboxes and bank accounts of the rich and powerful thousands of miles away. They can exploit the access to wreak havoc on their victims' economic and professional lives and drag their reputations through the mud. This is the new front line in the global battleground a murky nexus of crime, espionage, and nation-state power mongering, and it's growing fast. All right, that's the whole article, y'all. That is the whole article of how your man's right here put all this together. There's still a billion dollars from the Bangladesh Bank that all started with a bank employee clicking a link in an email which got him access to the computer networks in the bank where him and his people were able to successfully find a uh, malfunctioning printer, hide out in the printer for over a year, take over the software for the printer, put their plan together to steal upwards of close to a billion dollars, launder the money across multiple countries. And, you know, I think they ended up getting away with like, what did it say, like $20 million or something like that, if I'm not mistaken, which all that money more than likely went back to North Korea. This is the same guy launching crypto, some of the most famous crypto attacks out there. And he's also the same guy that was uh, beefing with Sony Pictures over that, that freaking movie about North Korea, where they was leaking emails and all kind of crazy stuff. This dude who comes from this place right here, a country with no lights on at night. We look at North Korea, you watch the news, we all think they're just a bunch of idiots out there because they're poor, they don't have access to this, they're just dominated by their leader. But they got some very highly intelligent people out there. And according to this article, they are training children as young as 12 years old to become super hackers. Meanwhile, here in America, we are struggling to get grown-ups, fully functioning grown-ups, 
to take cybersecurity seriously and go out there and learn these certifications, but they are training children up, y'all. This is what's cracking out there. This is why this cybersecurity thing is serious, and you got to look at it from the standpoint of a warfare mentality because this is what they're doing. Let me see what y'all are here talking about. He would be making millions if he can get out of North Korea. He probably got millions. They probably paid him. He's probably chilling right now somewhere in China or North Korea. He's probably chilling. I wouldn't doubt it. You think, you think they're going to get rid of somebody like that? They're going to give this dude anything he wants. He probably got access to Netflix and YouTube and all that stuff. <laughs> Everything that all, everybody else can't get. But yeah, this is what's going on, man. Cyber warfare. This is why you got to learn these, these skills, baby. This was cracking in the 21st century. You don't have to go over there and drop bombs on people. Although we, we, we probably still do that. I'm ex-military. But you don't have to necessarily drop bombs on people. You can just drop code on people. You can drop code on people. You can drop email links on people and mess up all kind of stuff, y'all. This was cracking. They don't, they don't have to come over here and physically invade the country. They could just shut us down. A matter of fact, there's a story I saw. I may have talked about this before. Water treatment and cyber attacks. So this happened last year. There's a water treatment facility not too far from where my brother lives in Tampa. It's like, I don't, I don't know how close he stays to this thing, but whatever. Anyways, you had a bunch of hackers who were able to get into, who were able to hack this system because this system was using some old piece of software that they were just able to bypass. And then they started going in there, messing with the chemical levels and all kind of crap. Luckily, somebody caught it. But um, if they had uh, gone unnoticed, man, they would have poisoned and or killed tens of thousands of people in the Tampa Bay area. In the area that my brother probably gets his water treated from. You know what I'm saying? So this is real. And you don't have to you don't have to physically break into this like like you're in a spy movie. You could just be on a computer on the other side of the world and cause all kind of damage. This stuff is real. There's all type of threats against the nuclear, uh, uh, the electrical grid. Cyber attacks, uh, electrical grid. This stuff is happening all over the place. They mess around and shut the electricity off. What y'all going to do, man? Y'all ever think about that? I live in Florida. So y'all know we got hurricanes coming through all the time. Luckily, we ain't had one come through. We had a hurricane come through. What was the last major hurricane that came through? Probably like 2018 when I had just moved back down here. Man, it knocked the power out in Orlando, damn near all over the city. My neighborhood had power. Somehow, some way, I was still able to have power. But, man, there were, there were neighborhoods down here who didn't have power for like a week. And it's hot down here. Even during the so-called winter months, it is hot. So imagine if they messed up the electrical grid and your internet went out, your AC went out, your, your refrigerator can't keep your food cool. What you going to do? Most people will freak out, man. It'll be chaos and confusion all over the place. But you don't have to physically go to an electrical grid and, and drop bombs off. You can just drop code off. 
you just drop some code and some email links off. And that's all you got to do to mess up somebody's life here in America. You know what I'm saying? Excuse me. This, this was cracking out here. So it's not just about stealing your personal ID, your personal information, or getting access to your bank account, which, you know, they'll do that too. What if they poison your water? Now you can't drink water, take a shower. You around here smelling like hot Karachi and just, just looking like a, a zombie from Walking Dead. They can really mess up your whole way of life. And we, how often do you guys think about water treatment facilities? Like who, like when's the last time you actually had a conversation with somebody about, hey, I wonder what's going on with the water treatment. You don't even think about it. You just go to your sink, turn the knob and, and you expect clean water, or highly chlorinated water to come out, right? Nobody thinks about this crap. Nobody thinks about the electricity. As long as you pay your electrical bill, you expect them doggone lights to come on when you hit that switch, right? You don't think about this crap. But just imagine if they shut this down, how your life would come to a screeching halt, ladies and gentlemen. A screeching halt. Now, what if they, matter of fact, what about the hackers who messed up the uh, oil? Pipeline hack. Remember that? The colonial pipeline. Remember that happened last year, the year before? Oh, what happened? Who remembers that? You can't go to the gas station to get gas, right? Look at this. All these people were affected. I live in Florida. We weren't affected by this. We were good. We get our oil from some, somewhere else. All these people were affected by the colonial pop. This thing goes all the way up to New Jersey, from Texas to New Jersey, y'all. Think about how many millions of people were affected by this. You can't go to the gas station to put gas in your car. I don't care if gas costs 50 cents a gallon. Your life finna be all types of tore up from the flow up. And guess what? You ain't got to be right there messing with it. You could be on the other side of the world and just drop an email off of the link and some code and cause all types of headaches. This is why cybersecurity is, is real out in these streets. You know what I mean? You're, you're prepping. I have a, <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm, over, I'm, I'm starting to turn into one of these dudes watching these prep videos. I'm over here looking up MRE. You know, I'm ex-military, so I used to eat MREs all the time. I'm over here looking up where can I buy some MREs and just stack up like six months worth of food. And now that I live in a state that's known for getting hurricanes, I had a guy come to my house, well, two people come to my house this week. We're looking at possibly getting solar panels put on my house. And I didn't realize solar panels were so freaking expensive. <laughs> so dude came by my house. Well, the first dude came by my house. He was like, yeah, it's going to cost $60,000, but you'll get like a $15,000 credit. So it'll knock it down to $40,000, but you'll essentially not be paying a, an electric bill. I was like, okay. Another dude came by my house, gave me the same numbers. But then he told me he was like, for an additional $40,000, we can install a battery in your garage. Like, what you mean a battery? He was like, yeah. You can collect all your electricity from solar and it gets funneled into this battery. So in the event, all the power goes out because a hurricane or something, you'll be the only person in your neighborhood or, you know, one of the only people in your neighborhood who, who can still cut his lights on and live your life normal because your battery would just kick in and take over. 
So I was like, wow, man, I might need to spend eighty thousand dollars. I don't think I want to spend eighty racks on this, but I do live in a state that's known for getting hurricanes. <laughs> so it got me thinking about this. You know what I'm saying? It got me thinking about this, this prepping stuff, because I like I like the AC, y'all. I like to keep my I like to go to sleep with my AC bumping at 70 degrees. You know what I mean? I like when I open my refrigerator, I got a nice cold bottle of water waiting on me. So I've been thinking about these things too, man. Yeah, man, we got to watch these, these doomsday prepping videos. Are you, you, uh, are you ex-military, Earl? That's right, man. All that stuff. We got we got to go back to all that training we did, running around the woods, break out our little compass to shoot our azimuth, all that crap, right? <laughs> so anyways, y'all, I just want to share that with y'all, man. Let y'all know the level of sophistication that's going on out in these streets. I get ready to go get my son in a few. Um, how these other countries are getting down, how they how they uh, treat this this IT cybersecurity stuff. We're not treating it nowhere near as serious as other countries. I think we're getting more and more serious because more and more people are starting to realize just how connected we are. Um, just just imagine if somebody hacked into a hospital and locked up a doctor's files. As a matter of fact, this actually happened in the UK not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, some medical files were hit with a ransomware attack and it ended up costing somebody their life because the doctors couldn't get access to the medical files to treat the patient and the patient actually died. So I want to say this actually happened last year, if I'm not mistaken. So we got that coming. You know, we're just highly connected. I just saw an article about the uh, Tesla's. How people are able to, um, I need to give me a fan, put it here. How people are able to, um, I've never driven a Tesla before, but I was reading about it. Basically, something with the key uses NFC, near field communication, but how hackers are able to make duplicate copies of your key or make their own copy of, or make their own key that can work with your Tesla. It's, it's some crazy crap that's going on. So even as these cars are getting more sophisticated and connected, now we got to worry about people hacking into our cars. Cause you know they can do that already if you got a key fob, right? They say if you got a key fob at night, you should keep your key in the center of your house, and if if possible, put it in some type of um, either wrap it in aluminum foil, put it in a metal box or something that can block that art that block that signal. Because all somebody has to do is go outside your house, and they can take like a scanner. It'd be like a two man operation. You got one guy at your car with a scanner, and then another guy looking for the signal from your fob because your key fob is always communicating with your car. And then all they got to do is intercept that signal and then send that signal to the guy with the receiver at the car and they can make a, they can uh, turn your car on. They might not have access to the key fob, but they can turn your car on. And as long as they got a duplicate signal that, that that guy's reproducing in the car, they can just drive the car off and just keep rolling. You know what I'm saying? So this, this is all kind of crazy stuff going on. All type of goofy stuff. So, yeah, man. So, I just wanted to share that with y'all, man. I'm sweating up in here. I got to get a fan. I'm hot. <laughs> I've been working out lately, y'all. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm like super hot. 
anyway, so shout out to everybody that's been um passing these certifications, y'all. Appreciate that. Um, y'all want to send me y'all certifications in. I appreciate the comments, but I, I would like to see more of these. You understand? I appreciate those of y'all who have been sent. Oh, my bad. Y'all can't see it. I appreciate y'all that have been sending this stuff in, but I would like to see more of these right here. You understand? Oh, yeah. Somebody made a comment talking about, man, I got my security plus and I couldn't pass. I couldn't get a job. So here's what the great tech G is going to do. So hopefully by this year, as soon as I get caught up in all these classes, I'm going to be coming out with a coaching program where I'm going to be holding your little hands and walking you through the entire process till you get your first job. All right. That's what I plan on doing. Helping you with resumes, mock interviews, all kind of stuff till you get your first job. So that, that's what I, I intend on doing once I get all this other crap taken care of. Do you need a copy of the cert? I would like a copy. Uh, you know, you just email it to me or take a picture. Um, you don't have to, you know, if you do send it to me, I'll black out your name and just show your first name like I do right here. Like this guy right here, he sent a picture of his actual cert and the little, what happened? Oh, and the little, uh, the cards you could throw in your wallet. But I just, I just blacked out his name and, you know, all identifiable information. But I would like to get a copy of that. For those of y'all who use my materials and you go out there and pass these certifications, that would lend to the uh, social proof and credibility of, of the information I'm putting out here. I mean, I'll take the comments and the emails. That's cool. But I think this is I think showing the actual cert is, is a much stronger form of social proof. You know what I mean, and shout out to those of y'all who have sent this stuff in. But um, I think I think this is uh, I think this this goes a little this goes way further because it's more believable. You know what I mean? Because anybody could throw a YouTube comment up here, like you know, like this guy right here. Oh my bad, hold up. Like this guy right here. I have no idea who this person is. You can see his name. <laughs> they say they passed. Um, what cert was this? I don't even know what cert that is, but whatever. They say they passed. I have no way of verifying that. And I'm not, I'm not, it's not like I'm going to go out there and be like, you need to send me a comment. I'm not going to, you know, switch off for it. But I just think, you know, it'll be a much stronger form of social proof if, you know, you just sent me a picture of it. And then before I post it, I'll black out all identifiable information other than your first name. You know what I mean? Yeah, you saw his name, man. <laughs> That's all. Uh, what else? We need to dominate the cybersecurity and cloud computing game. Yeah, listen. When it, all right, so let's let's talk about that. Let's talk. Let's talk to my black peoples out there. I know some of you are like, "Oh Lord, why are you doing that?" Because I have to. So listen. When it comes to black folks and Hispanics. But I know in particular with black folks across IT in general, it's only like last time I checked, it's only like um, about 5%, 6% black people in the entire tech industry. No matter what, what you do in tech, whether you're coding, you're a data scientist, you're a 
cybersecurity, that doesn't matter what you do. Database development, there's only like 5% across the entire IT industry. So, you know, trying to get more brothers and sisters in here and Hispanics and minority. I mean, tech is dominated by white people and Asians. Let's just call it what it is. That's, that's kind of what it is. You know what I mean? Ain't no sense in being shocked about it. That's that's what it is. But in order to get more minorities, in particular black folks involved in tech, well, you know, we, first off, we got to get people interested in it. Because I saw some dude make a video or leave a comment on some video where they was talking about the way we get black people involved in tech, we have to make tech cool. I was like, what you mean? Well, I got to go throw some gold teeth in my mouth. Now, I, I am a fan of gold teeth. <laughs> But I'm not about to throw golds in my mouth. But what I got to throw some gold teeth in my mouth or I got to start holding up money stacks on Instagram to get people interested in tech. I mean, I don't I don't feel like I have to do that. I mean, I'll show you all pictures of my Jordans I post on my Instagram every now and then. But <laughs> that's about as far as I'll go. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm a fan of Jordans. But I don't know how to. When I hear people say we need to make it cool, I'm like, well, listen, I'm 42 years old. I'm a father, too. I got a teenage son. I'm not about to be putting skinny jeans on, playing mumble music, holding up money phones and doing stupid TikTok dances in order to convince people that you need to get into cybersecurity. I mean, that's not me, dude. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a husband and a father that pays a mortgage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I take my kid. I take my youngest son to karate practice. Like, I'm, I'm one of them dudes. You know what I mean? That's that's my life. I don't know how to be. I don't know how to be that cool dude anymore. I'm a father. Um, I could talk about the money we make all day long, or the possibilities of the money that you can make. I could talk about how easy this stuff actually is if you just study. I could talk about how you don't need to go to college to to learn a lot of this stuff. You can just bypass college and get straight to the money. But. You know, if people expect me to get up on here and in the latest fashion, I got Gucci belts and gold and colorful dreadlocks in my hair. And I'm, dude, I ain't doing all that. Y'all going to see me up here with my little my little U.S. Army veterans cap and my, my same white T-shirts I wear every damn video. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to throw button ups on here one day. But, you know, I'm at, I'm at my house chilling. I don't have to put a button up on. But I, I don't know. At this point, you got to be you got to want to do it for yourself. And then those that want to get into it, you got to take it seriously. Learn what you can learn. Hopefully you become a try to become a subject matter expert to the best of your abilities. And then go out there and impact those around you that, you know, can actually reach out and touch you and see what you're doing. If that's what you want to do. Some people they just want to get their jobs, go home. You know, go to work, go home and chill, chill with their lady, their man or whatever. And that's cool, too. But um, taking over the IT industry, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I would be happy if if the tech industry looked like the actual demographics of the country. What is it like black people make up like what, 13, 14 percent of the, the, the country's population? If we had about 13, 14 percent representation, that would be cool. But I'm not about to go above and beyond trying to make it cool like Dude, I'm four. I'll be 50 years old in eight years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying I don't know how to be cool anymore. My cool days have gone. I'm, I'm a cool father and husband. Since so you recently got into tech at 28. All right, that's what's up. 
it's not too late. My youngest brother got in the tech when he was about 27, 28. He's um, how old is he? He's 38 years old now. He's been doing tech for 10 years. He makes like $130,000 a year working in cybersecurity. He dropped out of college his freshman year. So you can do it too. He started the same age you currently are. And he started off help desk, basic certifications, man. Just went up, he just became proficient at what he was doing. And now, he, now he's cashing in $130,000 checks every year. And he has no wife and no kids. So his, he can go out there and do all kind of stuff I can't do. <laughs> Matter of fact, my brother hit me up a couple months ago. Hey, man, you want let's go to let's go to Italy in uh, November. I'm like, no, he said October. I'm like, man, don't you know I got kids in school? Who I can't just up and plan a trip to go to Europe in October. I got kids that are in school, bro. <laughs> he can do those things. He don't have kids. I can't. I got to plan everything around Christmas break, spring break, and summer break. You know what I mean? Even my brother hit me. Like I say, he's 38. He ain't even cool, cool like that. My brother sit literally, he's just a video game junkie. He 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 uh lives online playing them online video games. He'll 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 spend his money like he'll like he's not really into like fashion, fashion like that. He ain't no nerd. He you know, he he still, you know, he still get out there and get the ladies if he wanted. <laughs> but when he spends money, he drops mad cheese on electronics. Or he'll drop a lot of cheese on trips. Like, like when he goes on a trip, he, he's flying first class, staying at the top-notch hotels. Like he he's doing it up. And he like matter of fact, he just got back from um Puerto Rico, not Puerto Rico, one of the islands in the Caribbean, somewhere down there. He came back and he bought me a five hundred dollar bottle of vodka. I mean, not vodka, but rum as a gift. Like, here you go. I'm like, okay. Don't expect uh don't expect me to get you a five hundred dollar bottle because I ain't doing it. <laughs> I don't even like rum. But anyway, so you can get it, man. If you if you're just starting out, you still got time. Just become proficient, man. You got brothers out there like Keep It Techie. He's the Linux guru. Y'all go sub to keep it techie. I've you know I've, I've posted videos on this channel with him before. He's all about that Linux. He got a whole Linux course up there on his channel somewhere, where he's walking you through Linux, showing you all kind of stuff, right? Savage scientist. He's into that 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 programming stuff. Stuff I know very little about. Professor Black Ops, wherever he's at, here he is right here. Cybersecurity like me, cybersecurity for the peoples. So we got people out there. You just got to take advantage of it. If this is what you really want. And the beautiful thing about this is y'all got an advantage I didn't have. See, when I was coming up learning tech, like I said, I started, I got into IT back in 2002, courtesy of uh, me joining the Army. I didn't have YouTube in 2002. I had to go to the library, I had to go to Barnes and Nobles, buy books. Study them joints, read them, you know. Y'all got YouTube videos, you got Udemy, you got all type of online learning and resources. I wish I had a hat back in my day to where y'all can go so much faster and so much further in a shorter amount of time. So 
Take advantage of it, man. You know, YouTube is a great platform. You can come on here and hear a lot of ignorant crap, get entertained for days, but make some time to learn something useful that can enhance your life, especially if you're a young man or young woman trying to figure out what you want to do or if you're starting over, you know, whatever. So, anyways, that's that's my story for the day, y'all. I'm sweating. I got I, I got to go eat lunch, and then I got to go pick up my kid. So, anyways, uh, y'all sub to Tech G if you haven't. I'm create, um, uh, keep creating this content. Hold on, what was that? Uh, yep. They got it made. I learned tech in 94. I had to read books and they were already outdated. Yeah, man. Nobody likes reading books. <laughs> books. Them books are dry and boring. You know what I mean? Y'all can just watch YouTube videos. All right. Anyways, it's been fun. Hopefully y'all got something out of this. Y'all learned how serious this tech thing was. Oh, yeah. I got a new computer. This is the M1. Mac Mini. I just bought this computer because because the the laptop I'm streaming off. I'm a fan of Mac, so the laptop I'm streaming off of is a 2013 MacBook Pro. So I was like, ah, let me go get a new computer, right? So I was like, let me go ahead and get this Mac Mini with the M1 processor. So why did I buy this? And then two days later, Apple comes out with the M2 processor. I'm like, ain't this about a B? I just bought this thing, and now two days later, they talking about they dropping the M2. But you know what? It's all good. Me and this M1, we're going to make it do what it do. I'm going to get a good five years out of this thing. It's going it's to <laughs> hopefully it'll make, uh, you know, make these, these presentations go a lot better. All right. Anyways, appreciate everybody stopping through. Hopefully you learned something. Remember, uh, like, share, subscribe. Tell your mom and your friends and all of them about this. Uh, get certified and stop, and stop lally, lally gagging. All right? Y'all be easy. Peace.